Uh, we're in this series called Upside Down Kingdom, and we're looking at uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you miss any of the sermons, feel free to go to our website and listen to them to get caught up. Uh, you should be able to find it at KentuckyRoad.org. Uh, from there, you, it's easy once you get there. So uh, we are uh, picking up kind of where we left off. Uh, last week, last week we talked about Jesus uh, setting new standards of living in the middle of chapter five, uh, and and these new standards are taken from old standards. They're taken from these places, these things that the Jews were taught, and and he's setting up this new standard that that they are supposed to live as his followers. And and kind of what we can gather from the first four that we looked at. He, he gives us six total. Uh, the first four all deal with relationships we have with other people. Uh, and the first one, he kind of told us that we should not become angry with our brothers, okay, our, those who are our fellow followers of Jesus. Uh, and that's kind of a hard standard, right? All right? But it's one of those things that we're not supposed to do. Not only should you not murder, but don't even become angry with them. Uh, the next two kind of deal with your marriage relationships. Uh, he talks about not lusting after someone who's not your spouse and also not divorcing them over petty things. We remember that the uh, Jews had a lot of different rules on why you could divorce someone, uh, including uh, if they burnt your food. All right, so if they burnt supper, you could divorce them just like that. And Jesus says, no, you probably shouldn't do that. Okay, and so that's kind of what he's talking about there. Uh, he also talks about, uh, in the last one that we talked about last week, oaths and what you could and could not swear to. And, and kind of what I picture when he's talking about this is people, you remember as a kid, you would say, promise something and you would cross your fingers. And what did that mean? You didn't have to do it, right? If I promised you something and I had my fingers crossed, it means I could break it. All right, and so that's kind of what the Jews were doing. They had all kinds of things that you could swear on and it'd be like crossing your fingers and they could break it later. And Jesus says, no, don't let that be. Let your yeses be yeses and your noes, no. So be honest in what you're saying and what you're communicating to the people you're around. Uh, this, uh, what we're going to pick off up, uh, he's going to be talking about another relationship, a relationship that we don't typically think of. Uh, he's going to be talking about our enemies and how we should relate to them. Now, before we jump there, uh, I want us to look at the end of, uh, of, of this section. I want us to go to actually Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 4. And I want us to uh, kind of see how Jesus wraps this up because I kind of want us to end on, on the note that he's going to be talking about. So this is what Jesus says to wrap up uh, this section of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father that is in heaven. So Jesus, uh, he started off this section, these uh, six uh, new ways of living by talking about righteousness. Last week we read, they said that, that if your righteousness uh, to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees. All right? The Pharisees were very good at, at not breaking the law of Moses, at least how they read it. All right? they, they even created this hedges so they wouldn't even come close to breaking the law. And uh, when we get to this end, Matthew is, uh, er, Jesus is again pointing back to the Pharisees here. See, not only were the Pharisees good at not breaking the law, they were good at making sure that everyone knew that they weren't breaking the law. All right? They were very, 
very vocal about it, okay? And we're going to read uh, in the next, or let's just read the next two, three verses. He says, so when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites in the synagogues do, or on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And so what the Pharisees were doing as they were bringing in their, their tithes and offerings, they were making sure everyone knew about it. Look at me. Here you go. Aren't I great? And that's kind of how they were doing it, okay? And Jesus, in this last section, says, wait a minute, guys. Let's not do it that way. Yes, they are very good at, at promoting themselves, and they're desiring the accolades of man, but that is not how you're to be. Instead, he gives us the example in verses 3 and 4. He says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And so Jesus has this different understanding than the rest of the world. You see, the kingdom of heaven is an upside-down kingdom. It is thinking differently than what everybody else thinks. And while everyone desires to receive praise for what they're doing and giving back to God and to just people that are in need, that's not what we are to do. As followers of Jesus, we should be doing things not to receive praise from men, but rather to receive praise from God. And so to do that, we have to do serve in such a way that, that if someone gives us praise, awesome, but that's not what we're, where we're serving for. That's not who we're seeking to please. And I think some of the best servants in the church are the people that do it uh, behind the scenes. Right, these are the people, the men and the women, who go out of their way and do all kinds of things, and they do it not to receive praise from me or from the elders or from other people, but do it just because they want to serve. They want to help out. Right, there, there's a number of examples. We could be up here all day talking about the different people that serve behind the scenes. Are there people that come after Awana? Awana, they tear down the fellowship hall, uh, and, and so it's just an empty room. And there's people that come in after Awana, and they just set up so that, so that we can go and have Sunday school class in there on Sundays. And it's awesome. And I don't have to do it. That's what makes it even greater. All right, the bulletins that you have, right? Jacob and I didn't fold them, but they're folded for you today. Right, and that's a great blessing to have people that would be willing to come in and, and fold those bulletins so that we can hand it to you guys. All right, there's people that, that cook meals for those that have been in the hospital that have uh, been sick. Take it to their houses. All right, there, there's, they do that because they love them. There's, there's a couple of men in the church that just walk around the church, and if there's a light bulb that needs to be changed, they change it. I have leaky faucet, they fix the leaky faucets. And I don't, again, I don't have to do that. And I'm, all, I'm grateful for what they do. And so there's all kinds of things we could talk about, uh, about these people that serve behind the scenes. And there's a way more than even what I see. All right? And so if I don't ever tell you thank you enough, thank you again. All right, because you are awesome. You are what makes this church run. It isn't Jacob. It isn't me. It isn't uh, Dave who sings. All right, it's, it's a lot of you guys doing different things. Uh, and, and you may never be seen, all right, but you are, are greatly appreciated. All right, so that's kind of what Jesus does to wrap up this. So let's look at the 
last two relationship uh, things that Jesus wants us to look at. The first one comes in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 20, or 38. It says this, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I just want to stop there because this is uh, how Jesus kind of introduces each of these different ideas. You've heard it said. I, and we, we probably have heard this said at one point in time. This is actually a very famous saying, uh, not only in the Bible but elsewhere. There's a guy by the name of Hammurabi in Babylon who created this whole law code, one of the oldest uh, law codes in the, in the history of the world. All right, and his could be summed up in this saying right here, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It was harsh, all right? So if I uh, was in a fight with you and I plucked out your eye, the punishment for me was my eye to get plucked out. Or if I punched you and miraculously knocked a tooth out, you would get to take a tooth out from me. If I stole your car, guess what you get to do? Steal a car back. Good job. I knew someone would say it. All right, so we, we can understand this, right? If I do something, then the punishment for me is to have that same thing done to me. Right, and that's kind of how, uh, even in the Old Testament, we kind of see this. It's this law of revenge. And as uh, human beings, we like this, I think. I mean, we, we like to get even, right? I mean, how many of you, when someone hurts you, all right, you may know that Jesus says don't do this, but, you know, in secret, you really want to do this. All right, this is, I think, a part of who we are sometimes. Uh, I remember uh, if you're... If you're in high school or junior high, you can close your ears right now, okay? Just do that for me. Thank, thank you, Gavin. All right. I, I remember in fifth grade, a kid came, and uh, I had a desk, and he took all my books out of my desk and hid it underneath the coat racks. You know the coat racks that were, like, apart from the wall and I could close and stuff? They, they hid it all under there. And when I found out who did that, you know what I did? I took all of his stuff and hid it under the coat racks. All right. This is what, not what you're supposed to do, but that's what I did. I, I, I messed up, okay? All right. But that's kind of what we like to do. And, and when we have friends or, or, or we ourselves are injured by somebody, somebody's done something wrong to us, uh, we might sometimes give the suggestion, well, you know what you should do? You should do this to get even. All right. And so that's kind of uh, what Jesus is talking about, okay? So you, you have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If they do something wrong to you, you get back at them. But, this is what Jesus says in verse 39, Jesus says, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you in the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand them over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go to one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And essentially what Jesus says is don't seek revenge. And this is hard sometimes. I mean, maybe it's a little bit easier than what we're going to talk about next, but it is hard sometimes not to seek revenge on someone that's done wrong to us. Because it's not who we are. It's not what the world thinks. It's not how everyone else is talking about. And so this new standard of living, it is difficult to live up to. Do not seek revenge. If someone hits you, you turn to them the other cheek. We, we've all heard that at some, some point in time. All right, it's a famous saying, right? Two wrongs don't make a right. Hey, you, you've heard that too. Your parents talk to you as well, right? 
And this is what we have to understand is that Jesus is calling us to the standard. And, it, and it's difficult, but elsewhere Paul writes that, that we should not seek revenge because we should leave room for God to avenge us. And, and this, all these things that are happening here, they're happening because you're seeking to do what is right. All right? If, you're, if you're doing wrong and you get hit in the face, all right, you probably deserve it. All right? But if you're trying to do what is right and you're practicing righteousness and you get persecuted for it, you get hit, you get sued, whatever, then this is what you should do. Do not seek revenge. I was in eighth or ninth grade, and uh, we have where I lived. Uh, there's about a square mile in the country there that were had a bunch of houses, and uh, we could all ride our bikes to meet up, and and everybody had a basketball hoop. And I remember at the end of the summer uh, going over to Derek's house, and uh, Derek had a hoop, and we were all going over there to play. We hadn't seen each other in a long time, and as I park my bike and walk up to play basketball, Derek decides that he's just going to punch me. I no, no idea, out of the blue, I, I did not do anything to provoke him. He just comes and slugs me in the face. Derek was kind of a jerk, if you couldn't tell. Right, and I remember falling on the ground and, and thinking to myself, okay, I have, I have a couple options here. I could get up and fight him, which I really wanted to do, right? I mean, how many of you, if you got punched for no reason, would want to get up and just slug back? Yeah, KP's like, yeah, me. Or I could recognize that, he was older than me, he had more muscles than me, and that if I tried to fight him, I would probably end up a lot worse than what I was already. And so I decided also, in, in having read this, this that summer, to just get up and, and walk away. And while it wasn't necessarily what I desired to do, I knew it was the brightest thing for me to do, all right? and I knew that it was the right thing for me to do. And I think that we have to recognize that, that sometimes you're just going to get picked on for no reason. And Jesus is calling us to not seek revenge. All right, and so this is, this is what, I mean, it was humiliating, having all your friends there and having that happen to you, and yet seeking to, to not seek revenge. It's hard. But I think it's what Jesus is calling us to. All right, so that's one way we can deal with the enemies that we have. And that's not seeking our own revenge. Uh, again, remembering what Paul says, that someday God will avenge you, all right? And, and allowing God to take that vengeance on whoever it is that's done you harm. All right, the next thing that Jesus says in verse 43 is this. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, I'm like, yes, all right? I can do that. Right? There is this idea that we have neighbors and we have enemies, and we have to kind of distinguish them because Jesus is distinguishing them here. There are going to be people in your life that are your neighbors and those that are your enemies. Right? For the Jews at the time, they had other people that were doing what Jesus did, walking around, teaching people, gathering disciples, and the, they were called rabbis. And the rabbis of that day, they taught that the people that were your neighbors, they were fellow Jews. All right, they were the people that were called by God to be separated from the world. And if they, if they were a Jew, then they were your neighbor. And if they were not a Jew, they were your enemy. All right, if they were sinners, they were your enemy. All right, and, and they taught this concept, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
Now, most of us aren't Jews in this room, so we need to translate this a little bit for ourselves. All right? The best way I like to translate it is to think of our neighbors as anyone who does good to us, okay? Who, who, who's nice to us and treat us well. All right, those are your neighbors. And anyone who consistently does bad things against you, they're your enemies. Now, how many of you in this life could love people that love you back and hate those that do harm to you? All right, let's be honest. All right. We can do that, right? That's easy. I mean, that's what we do already. All right? It is easy to hate people that harm you. I remember in third grade, I finally convinced my parents to let me into Cub Scouts. And, and I was, I think, a wolf at the time. Uh, they have different levels, and, and there was about four or five of us that all joined Cub Scouts at the t- same time. And uh, one of the boys' name was DJ, and his mom was the den leader, or whatever they called him. And she was there in charge of every week going over to DJ's house and, and learning something that we were supposed to learn that was supposed to make us grow into better people. And I remember one uh, week going and learning about maps and globes. And I remember this globe being in front of me. It was the first time I'd ever really held a globe. And I was looking at it and enjoying my time. And suddenly somebody took the globe from me. And I don't know why they took it from me. I, I just remember looking at it and being upset that they took it. And so I, I complained about it. I said, hey, I wasn't done looking at that. And, and DJ's mom said, yes, you are, and gave it to him. So being a, a man, uh, I went to the bathroom to cry. And <laughs> as I was crying and, and wiping away my tears and, and coming out, because as a third grader, that was traumatizing, okay? And so I come out, and all the other boys know exactly what I was doing, right? Because they had been there before. And I remember DJ making the decision to call me a crybaby. And not just at Cub Scouts, but at school. Every day. What's up, crybaby? And, and, and what made it worse was that DJ was also the popular kid in school. And so once he did it, everyone did it. And so from third grade to eighth grade, they tried to figure out new ways to make me cry in front of them. Do you know how easy it is to hate someone? I mean, I hate, hated DJ for a long, long time. If all we had to do was love those who treat us well and hate those who do harm to us, life would be easy. But Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus, in, in verse 44 there, he, he changes this standard from loving just your neighbors to loving your enemies as well. And I can tell you, this is probably the hardest thing that you will ever do as a follower of Jesus. Praying and loving for those that do harm to you. This is a standard that that is really, really, really high. And yet Jesus is calling us to it. Uh, Before we talk about a little bit about what he says to do here, let's talk about why he says we should do these things. 
He says that we should love and pray for our enemies so that we may be called the sons of God, the children of God. Uh, this phrase is, is a very unique phrase throughout uh, Matthew. In fact, it's very, it's very rare. And so it kind of gives us this understanding that, that Jesus is, is saying something very specific. The Jews at this time, they believed that they were the children of God simply because God had called them. Right? They, they were the special people of God. God had called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to be set apart from the world. And they, yes, they were supposed to obey the law of, of God that Moses had given. But ultimately, the reason why they were going to be saved was because of who their parents were. What made them the children of God was because they were descendants of Abraham. And Jesus says, no, that's not what makes you children of God. What makes you children of God is loving your enemies. And it's this new standard of, of what being a child of God means. If you want to be a child of God, and I'm assuming that you're here today and you desire that, all right, if you want to be a child of God, it means that you have to pray and love those who hurt you. And that's hard. I mean, why, why does doing that make you a child of God? Well, I'm glad you asked because Jesus gives an answer. All right, he says this in the second part of verse 45. He says, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. All right, Jesus says that the reason why this makes you a child of God is because that's what God does. God sends sun and rain, two very important things in the ancient world. Uh, he sends them to both those who are good and those who are bad. Those who love God and follow him and those who hate God. I mean, imagine if God didn't do that. How easy would our task be in converting the world for Jesus? If we could just go to our neighbor who hasn't had sun or rain for, you know, like a year or four years or, or their whole lifetime and simply say, you know what, I notice you haven't had rain. Here's a glass of water. Do you want to know Jesus so that you can have rain? I mean, how easy would it be to convince them? But God loves not just those who love him back, but God loves those who will never turn to him, who despise him. Who, who hate him, and God sends sun and rain on them. And if God, the person that we're supposed to be imitating as followers of him, as children of him, then if God can do that, we can do that as well. Jesus gives a couple of examples. He says uh, in verse 46, if you, if you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. And he gives us two examples of people that were evil, at least in the eyes of the Jews. Right? Tax collectors. These were the people that were Jewish, that were supporting the occupying force. They were traitors. They were enemies. And Jesus says this group of enemies, they love people that love them. Right? This thing, this idea that you love your neighbors, that's what these people are doing already. And then pagans, the second eye group, they were just as bad. They didn't worship God. And you know what they do? Oh, yeah, they, they love those who love them. And Jesus asked a very simple question that I really wish he didn't. What are you doing 
more than that. See, to be a part of this upside-down kingdom, to be a part of the children of God, to be a part uh, of this, this kingdom of heaven that we desire to be a part of, it means that we have to do something different than the rest of the world. And if the rest of the world loves those who love them and hates those who hate them, and all we are doing is the exact same thing, then what are we doing more than that? What distinguishes us? What sets us apart? Jesus closes this section with this. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This idea of being perfect is this idea of doing all of God's will in your life, of being holy. And the reason why the children of God love evil people is because that's what God does, and children reflect what their fathers do. If we want to be children of God, then we have to pray and love our enemies. And again, this is hard. I mean, it's not something I desire at times to do. And and when we have people that do us harm, it is very hard to love them in those moments. Sometimes it's very hard to pray for them. Now, when I look at my prayer list, the people that are on the top are not my enemies. I mean, they're not the first people that come to mind when I'm sitting before God and asking him for supplication for other people. All right, but that is what Jesus is calling us to do, to think of our enemies, to begin praying for them. And I think he does this because when you begin to pray for someone, things change. They don't change. All right, they tend to be who they are, but you begin to look at them differently. See, Jesus isn't calling us to pray for them like this. He's not saying, go to God and say, God, please bring destruction upon them. Please bring diseases and death. That's not the type of prayer that God's calling us to pray for. He's calling us to pray for their well-being. To pray, God, bless them. To pray, God, give them riches and help them to survive. And when we're thinking of our enemies, that's probably the least thing that we want to pray for, isn't it? But that's what God is calling us to pray for, to love them, to choose to care for their well-being over against yourself. This idea of love, it's the idea that you and your enemy are in the desert and you have one loaf of bread, and either you give them the whole loaf or you break it in half and give them the bigger half. You care about their needs more than your own. Do we love and pray for our enemies in that way? It's hard. It isn't easy. But it's the thing that sets us apart from the world. Caring for those who don't care a thing for you. And when we begin to pray for people and that they are blessed, we begin to see them in a different light. A lot of times when we have enemies, we like to dehumanize them. We like to think that they're less than we are, and it makes us be able to hate them even more. But when we begin to pray for their well-being, we begin to think, I wonder how they're doing, honestly. How are their parents? How are their kids? And we begin to concern not just for who they are as a human being, but who they are as a family member, as a, as a person in the community. You begin this process of loving, of caring for them. 
And so these relationships with our enemies, Jesus gives us very two simple things. Don't seek revenge. That's hard in and of itself, I know. But also love them. And I think if we do these two things, we'll begin to reflect Jesus in the way that we ought to. And as we do these two things, we begin to be the children of God that we are called to be. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that Jesus gives us difficult things to do. Uh, we're grateful that he's challenged us to not just, not just to love those who love us back, but to love all people. God, you show us uh, the greatest form of love and laying down your life, not just for those who would come to accept you one day, but for all of mankind for the sins of the world, for those that spat on you as you were hanging on the cross, for those uh, that would reject you many, many years later. And Lord, if you were willing to die for them, help us to be willing to shine our light for them as well. Help us to love them, even when they are unlovable. Help us to show grace and mercy, to not seek revenge, but to simply be yours. Help us, Father, to be those lights in this world. I ask you this in your name. Amen.